Good evening and welcome to episode 12 of Football Revisited. With me this week, the Carfu of all right backs in Mr. Nathan Burke, and a man so good they named him after a cleaning object, the Moth, aka Mr. Sims. How are we, gents? Good week? Good man. Yeah, good week. Good, yeah. Another week through in 2021. That's all the words. Right. I thought I'd start by taking a leaf out of your book, Sims, and chuck you some stats. Okay? So I've got three stats here. Firstly, this was the first time in over two years that Liverpool have failed to score in the Premier League game at Anfield. Secondly, this was the first time Liverpool have failed to score in three consecutive Premier League games since March 2005. Lastly, and probably most surprisingly, Liverpool are 18 points worse off at this stage of the world last season and have not won a game in four. So, you called the result last week on the pod. You said nil-nil. The floor is yours. Give us your reaction. I'll start off by saying thank you for using all Liverpool facts. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed yeah. that. That's, that was nice. That was nice to hear. Improve my mood. Um, so, oh, look, I, there's no surprise. I think it went exactly like um, many people thought it would. Uh, I thought Liverpool are better than they've been, but they were nowhere near uh, where they should, where they need to be. But Man United, uh, they said they played well in patches. But overall, I think they came for a draw and they were more than happy to get a draw. What I would say with that one stat about their 18 points worse off than last season, I said this a few weeks ago and I still stand by it. Last season was just an absolute unicorn of a season. It, it's a freak season. It's not going to happen. Comparing points to last year just seems irrelevant to me these days um, because I just think, you look at Liverpool, for example, this time last year, they'd drawn one game and won every other game. So we don't gain anything from from looking at Liverpool last year because, in fairness to Liverpool, that is an impossible benchmark to be aiming yourself for. And it, it, you know, it was it was it was wild last year. In especially this season, now it would be even more wild. Um, but yeah, I I, just, I think I think by the end of the game, I thought both teams actually were pretty happy to draw, and I think it played out like that. I think the fear of losing. Came into it. Dick, um, I actually thoughts? wanted to talk about the same stat the Sims just spoke about, but the other way because you said it was surprising when you look at the games they've played the Southampton, Newcastle, West Brom, Fulham. I've listed them before on the pod. It's really not surprising. I agree with Sims last season was a freak, but I also don't think we should be 18 points off. I think eight points off would be a fair reflection on last year being a freak and the quality we've got in our squad. Uh, so it has been a poor start of the season. Well, half of the season so far. Um, but with the game Sunday, I think with Liverpool Man U games, you've always got to take them in isolation. So the rest of the season doesn't come into it. Um, and draw a fair result. Man U could have won it. They had the best chances of the game. I think overall Liverpool were the better side on the day. But um, yeah, we're just not creating chances at the moment. So I think both teams, like Sim said, happy with the draw. Right result. Yeah, no, I, I can I completely agree. It was, it was just a bit of an anti-climax, really, because I think we all thought that it could be a good game. But uh, Sims called it was a nil-nil, like it always is. But, uh, <laughs> it's, um, been, it's been years since it's been a good game as well. Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't. Well, you guys might know better than me, but I can't think of a good... Well, match. even, I mean, last year, two years ago, it was 3-1, and last year, it was 2-0. But even they were they were poor games. I mean, yeah. last year, 2-0 was, it was 1-0, for a while, and then it was the 91st minute that Salah scores. And then two years ago, when I was at 3-1, I think Liverpool went one up, United equalised straight away, and then it was, crap. It was played as yeah, it was played as a nil-nil for the rest of the game until about 10 minutes in time when Shakiri came on. Yeah. He had one deflected and one on the, on the break. So, like you said, you take those two games out of it, it's just, we spoke about it the day, but can we, that red Monday from years ago where they... They picked it up to be an unbelievable and ended nil-nil. Yeah. I think it's just, it, as you said, it's an isolation because the game's isolation because the teams are so afraid of losing to each other Yeah. that the fear just takes over. And that's why that game, although obviously the stats you read out, but it's part of them, it's unfair to go off that game just because it's so different to any of the other 18 league games we play in a round. Yeah, I think we were watching it over there. I, I think if fans were there, I think it might have been a bit of a different story. Just 
the whole atmosphere the big it would have felt like a bigger game the intensity would have been far higher yeah, yeah I, I said that to you didn't I on the time I, I thought that was one of the like I've been pretty I've been really down on it without the fans and stuff but watching experience that was one of the the most obvious games where you thought oh my word this is you just you're just missing the fans so much here. Yeah, Sky and BT can big up a game as much as they want, but if you are two yeah. minutes in and it's just dead silence in the stands, it, it's yeah. lost, isn't it? Um, my next question is is more straightforward. Uh, United. Um, on MNF last night, Evan Carragher had a, a good debate. Um, some are calling it an argument. In your opinion, what, was it right for, us, for a club the size of United, who were top of the table, to go there? And basically play for a draw, because I think you could argue there's a lot of other teams that just the way the game panned out. You know, you got two centimeters playing centre back, people out of form like Trent. The front three aren't playing well. Could you have made the argument that United missed an opportunity and should have gone for a bit more? Ultimately, as a point at Anfield, always a good result. Liverpool were there for the beating. I think that that cannot be denied. But Man you have also been there for the beating many times this season, I think back to the Brighton game. So I think they've got to be responsible with where they are in the league. I think there's nothing wrong with how they came set up. They were probably looking to build on the foundation a bit better and counter a bit more than they did, but credit Liverpool's midfield, they killed that off most of the game. So nothing wrong with it. I think the if they had more signs of chances early on, it would have given them confidence to go for it because they didn't really have anything that first half. I think they went right, we'll take point. It's a good result. Move on. Yeah, I think both teams ultimately just, like you said, terms they're scared to go for it and get the result the way both teams are going. So, um, yeah, but I think we were, I've never seen Trent play so bad, like this from a neutral point of view, you know, because I don't think the center, like Fabinho and Henderson, I don't think they played that bad. They, I, they didn't look like they were exposed really. Um, Trent looked exposed more than the other two. Um, yeah. And yeah, like Thiago, again, his passing was, was great, but wasn't much end product. And then obviously the front three. What, what do you think of Cara's analysis on, on Firmino? We've all got different opinions about Firmino. But, I mean, it just looks like he's lost. He's chasing people down. He used to chase people down all the time to be not doing that anymore. He's shooting when he usually passes, unlike him. You know, there's a couple of chances you can put Robber in. You know, you don't know. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to it. He's not playing well. He's, he just simply <laughs> isn't. That's not like I, you know, I've been one of his biggest, biggest supporters, isn't it? He's not playing well, and and you need more. Um, and and like there is an argument to be said. He hasn't played well for a while. Yeah. And he, you know, but but what I think my my problem at the moment is he isn't playing well, and I'd have I I'd have no issue at all if you've taken out the team for a few weeks. No issue at all. But it's almost, it, it becomes a scapegoat because Mane and Salah are horribly out of form. Horribly out of form. Like, in, in all these games that Liverpool have played pretty badly in, they still could have picked up wins because they have had chances in all of them. And, and the other two who you're just so used to just seeing come up with big moments and take their chances. Like, Salah at the moment, I think, we said in it, they, they're both just in their own heads. Yeah, I, like I was watching Danny Ings's finish today. I'm watching Son. Are you watching? You watch any of these strikers? Jamie Vardy, even James Madison yesterday. As soon as he got out from 20 yards out, his first thought is, right, "I'm going to bang it now. I'm going to pull his top ends, even if he's on his left foot." Just one touch. I'm doing this. And then you think of that exactly that one touch. You think of Salah's chance where it's in the box and he tries in and out and in. Salah on form hits that. One maybe a second on the second touch maybe. They just and and I think it's difficult then to judge Roberto Firmino so critically to the point it's like well he needs to be dropped. And for my you know, I personally do think he should be dropped personally. But all, all three are struggling. Yeah. And and the problem for Liverpool is when all three struggle, it's not much else than you can do because you can't drop all three. Yeah. And it's. They've been fortunate, really, and it's a testament to the three of them that in the four years they've been playing, I don't think any. Of the, I don't think there's been one period where all three have struggled. Yeah. yeah. One mostly, like you said, Sims, the wingers are the goal scorers. 
But yeah, I think the, the first thing you said where he hasn't played well for a while, I think that's the thing for me. Is fair enough the other two are out of form, but they've played well more recently than Firmino. I think all season Firmino's been out of form. End of last season, most last season he was out of form. I think it's gotta be a time where you come and go say, right, it's not form anymore, we need a new striker. And for yeah. me, that, that time has passed. I think Liverpool need a new striker. What, uh, I didn't, wasn't going to ask this, but what kind of striker would you want? Because obviously Firmino is basically sent forward and plays a certain way. Would you want an out-and-out striker? Do you want a target man? What do you think you would need? Just a top-class striker, someone who can score goals, but also someone who can hold the ball. Like, people say you need to be this, you need to be that. Harry Kane's everything. Yeah. Oski's everything. I think yeah. there are strikers out there who are good enough to do both. Benzema for Madrid gets put in the Firmino bracket. He still goes, scores 20-plus goals a season. So I think there's strikers out there who tick the boxes and score goals. It's not one or the other. It's like you said, these days, the, the, it's not the one... It's like you said, it's not the, this striker is a Jermaine Defoe, for example. Fox in the box, will run behind, but he probably won't keep... You know, like if you're away from home, you don't want Jermaine Defoe up top, do you? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Not, they just don't make them like that anymore because they're so complete. And especially the level of striker that Liverpool will be looking at. Do you know, like they're going to be looking at the top top talents and then they're so complete these days, the strikers, that it's almost just like, well, you know, what can he, it's almost what can he do without the ball more than what can he do with the ball? Because they can do everything. Trust them with, with the ball, ball yeah. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I would say with Liverpool, I think, it's an interesting question though, but in terms of, I think Liverpool are at a crossroads now where, they're obviously having to rebuild that team a little bit because obviously when Alden will probably leave, they've brought Thiago in. They've they've been forced to, to look at the back four. Um, so you think, well, if they are now going to make these changes, it probably would mean a change in styles. Because um, you think of what Klopp was when he first came in with his total football, like the metal football, where he was super high intensity. He was unsustainable over the season. Last year, they prepped the ball pretty well. It's not Man City levels of passing, but they were pretty. I think it went under the radar almost how efficient they were at keeping the ball. Well, you add Thiago in now, you think, well, you'd be looking more maybe at 4 2 3 1, or so then you think, well, maybe they are looking to put maybe Salah through central and yeah. add a winner instead. Maybe that could be the move. Yeah, with the auto back as well. That's a good set. That's That's good, good and, and again, there's question mark, you know. Does if for me knows to be maybe the one who would be sacrificed and you know you look at when Alden leaving so where does that leave you in midfield? I just think it's it's pretty interesting time for Liverpool at the moment and it's that difficult thing of once you reach the top with a set of players, you almost feel your loyalty your loyalty you your, your loyalty to them, and it's a difficult task then to say right you've given me everything I wanted off you, but I'm now going to go and get someone else. You served your purpose, and the, you know for me the best who's ever done it, and the reason he won for so long was just it was, that was Fergie all over. Yeah, he was brilliant at it. That's what I was about to say. It shows how hard it is to keep reinventing the team because, like you say, you've got and you think about it, there's a lot of well, not young, but you know the front three isn't. You know, they're in their late twenties. You know, yeah. they're, they're not you know ready to go yet, really. And you know Trent's young. You got some other player, Joe Gomez. Robson's pretty young. Um, just on Trent, because we've mentioned it when we're watching the game. I don't think I've seen a right back that out of position, apart from Matt Doherty, because he's not right back. Um, for a while, and he just looks like I don't know. He just his body language isn't great. He just looks like he can't. Not that he can't be bothered, but maybe it's fatigue. I don't know. But is there something more to it, or is he just in a rut? No, I think you say he looks can't be bothered, but that's just how he plays. Like he makes it yeah. look so effortless. That when it's not coming off, you think, oh, he's not trying. I think that's, I think he is obviously quality, will be quality. But he's another one that you could chuck in the same bag as Lafran 3 and say he's hor- horribly out of form and has been all season. I think two, three games where he's done well, a lot of the other times he's been the guy the opposition will target because there's always a gap between him and whoever's centre back next to him. He's at yeah. his best when I say Matt dips there, but that's. With his fitness, it's few and far between. So I think it's just a case of he's young, he's always going to have this spell. He'll be fine. Just, just yeah, I'm not saying he has to change position, but do you see in the future that he could potentially move? Maybe go as a wing back if they change formation. 
maybe there's talk of it being centre midfield. Could you see that, or is he always going to be? I, I personally, I just think when you're the best right back in the world, stay right back, and that's my. Yeah. And, and the work the Liverpool. The problem with Trent Alexander at the moment is when you've got the forward players who are horribly out of form. Who does he likely pass to? Well, it's normally a Mo Salah, or he normally puts a ball in for Mane. Yeah. Then his next protocol would be I'll go to John Henderson in the midfield. Well, John Henderson's not there because he's beside him at the back four. Or he's having to think of Nat Phillips or Reese Williams next to him. And I think, like you said, we forget that he's 22. Yeah. Like he, he is a baby. Big non stop as well. Exactly. Four he's years. a baby in football. He's a baby in just general experience wise of the Premier League. It's just that he's been playing for so long. But I think there's another thing as well is he's a local lad, isn't he? And I just think he's comp- he is so invested in doing well that he, you know, is the perfect example for me of a player who has just got into his own head and he is trying every pass he knows when sometimes the simple one will do. That's the worst thing about him at the moment is the decision-making more than yeah. the actual talent side of it and because he's never been great defensively but that's not why he's there he's well, there because so really his crossing is unreal his yeah. just sense of being in the right place right time is unreal um but yeah it's just the decision making is not enough he's crossing when he shouldn't he's passing inside when he should cross it it's just, everything is wrong at the moment but, but he'll be all all the better for it my my last thing on Liverpool would be it is really difficult at the moment as a fan to watch him because you just know and you just think, oh, they're so much better than this. And I think there's a part of me that thinks as well that I, I don't want them to be like one and done where I feel like they, was, they could have done so much more if circumstances had gone their way. Um, but then I think what makes them dangerous and it shows no. I mean, Leicester City are top of the Premier League. How on earth has that happened? I didn't even know they were up there. I just, I just think it shows this season now. If you get a run of games going, you can not only can you get ahead, but you can pull away. And there's only two teams in the Premier League that I look and I think are capable of going on a seven-match winning streak. So for me, it's just about Liverpool just staying in the fight because eventually the tide will turn. Eventually, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane they're too good not to. Trent too good not to. You know, and I just think, you know, eventually the tide will turn and things will start falling into place for them. But it's just a question of will they be close enough and competitive enough at that stage for it to count? Um, but yeah, like I said, I think the thing that makes them the most, the thing that makes them dangerous is that them and Man City are the only two teams where I can see you can legitimately go on a run where they can, doesn't matter who they play, they can just beat and they can put results together week after week after week. Do you see what John Barnes said about uh, Liverpool? No. About the style, and he said he can see it being a struggle with Thiago, and Thiago being the one to blame because Thiago's game is more slow, possession based, where Salah, Mane, all about get the ball quick. They know when Fabinho or Hendo got in midfield, run over, they're getting it. That's not Thiago's game. Can you see that being a struggle? No. I think that's absolute. Well, I mean, who, I mean, who am I to tell John Barnes every football? But I will. And <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't see that myself. You watched the game. You didn't have a great game, obviously, but you can see the range of passing. And if I remember correctly, most of his passes were first time or at least two touch. He's pinging it, trying to make the play Best go a bit faster. Yeah. So I think again, it goes. I think he's so talented. Maybe he just looks a bit slow because it's so easy for him, and he's just there naturally. But um, just going back to as a neutral looking at Liverpool, I just think everybody's kind of overanalyzing Liverpool so much. They got they got so many injuries; it's, it's unbelievable. Like Man City complained last year that they had injuries. It was only Laporte who was only really um, Liverpool. Yeah, lost four centre backs. I think it shows as well how important having the same eleven on the pitch for Liverpool was because you funny lose one that, or two players. Funny that uh, Laporte was the one that was injured, and then this in John Stones, yeah. the guy who was fit all along last season. Yeah, scored 18 he's points not, in draft. He's not the hero. <laughs> well, and counted. Yeah. He's playing yeah, right now. Yeah, I know. He'll be on the score. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I think this team has got money in the bank that you just say they've got so many injuries, they've got a great manager, great team. Just they deal with a few losses right there and they'll, they'll come back strong. Um, one thing, just to finish off, because I am conscious that 
we spent time talking about Liverpool. Klopp's comments after the game, I thought were a bit strange talking about the top four. And I, for me, it probably was just a you know, just deflecting the fact they're in a bad run. He's just trying to take pressure off. Is there anything in that? Is there any? Are they really trying to get the top four, and that's all they're aiming for? Because I just thought it was a really strange comment to be talking about. You know, we know how hard it is to get top four. You know, it's going to be hard on this. And they're like, yeah, come on. We all know you're going for the title. But, you know, I didn't. I think he needed to say it, but again, it just shows a bit. Maybe it's just all going a bit pear shaped because of the form and all that. Is there anything in that? I think you've seen a few managers make a few weird comments lately. Um, He's just one of basically all 20, I think, to do it. Um, But no, what's strange is that goes against what he's been saying for the last two or three years in the the next game, it's the next game. Clichés, yes. But it does go against it slightly. But yeah, I don't read anything into it, to be honest. It's... uh, when he's frustrated, he does come out and say just the first thing he thinks of. And when he's in a bad mood, Pressure. it gets analysed like that. When he's in a good mood, it gets played on over Twitter and everyone's laughing at it. So, it's just, yeah, it's nothing. Fair. Fair. Right, let's move swiftly on. Because Man City are a team who are probably going under the radar. I think they've won their last five or six games in a row. Um, had a good win against Palace, who you know, have done it right against Man City. Um, Scored four goals. John Stones getting to unbelievably. He's playing. I never thought he could. Um, I said that Phil Jagielka, but there we are. Um, yeah, Man City. Are we? Are they favourites now? Do you think? Are they showing I mean, their class? Yeah. yeah. Are we? Are we right? Because we predicted Man City. We did, and so, I think we will be right. Yeah, I think so. Well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like like I said, I, I just look at them and Liverpool. I think they're the two teams who can go on the run, um, and. You look at Man City and it's, they've got they've got the squad and they to be able to cope with everything. This Pep Guardiola seems to have a spring in a step again, which is quite nice to see actually because there was a few months where he just seemed to be yeah berating anyone and anything he could. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see because obviously the next few games they've got a very nice um, schedule for the next few weeks, so you'd expect them to keep winning, and then it's about everyone keeping pace with them. Um, but but certainly yeah they do they do look good they they look really good for play. What I will say is while we're recording this they're currently playing Villa so by the time it's out they could have lost to Villa and everything was eight now. And um, I've also just seen, I've also just seen that Kyle Walker has gone off after half hour so top man. That's draft related but there we are. Cool so well from my own perspective we're going to they win it. Well, no. Well, no. <laughs> no. I'm a Liverpool fan. Oh, are you? I don't know. You're predicted against Liverpool. Well, you have right. to consider that Tottenham are in the title race. <laughs> yeah. I'm either no, right no. or Liverpool in the league. We haven't got time to talk about Spurs this week. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll might finish week. fourth, though. So you were wrong about that because I don't think I had them in my top eight. Well, I got Sheffield 20th and Man City first. So <laughs> top bottom. Villa, I've got chilling up there, actually. If they win tonight, who knows? Who knows? Right. Let's move on to the bottom of the table. A um, couple of big results. Big Sam doing what he does, getting a, probably a win that nobody thought they could get, even though Wolves aren't in a great form, but it's still, still a good team. Great win. Uh, Burke, we're obviously big big Sam fans. Yeah. Club. Uh, one day game on the pod. Um, <laughs> is this the start of the survival? Start of Big Sam's speciality? Um, it's the start of Big Sam's speciality, definitely. Um just got three goals and yeah. two penalties. Just textbook big nice. Sam. Nice, <laughs> yeah. Um, he's he's doing all he can do for now. He needs a couple of players. Obviously, they got Snodgrass. Let's talk yeah. of Danny Rose. Uh, he always goes out and gets a left back. I remember Van Arnold was a big player for him when he took over Palace. Um, yeah, I think if he can get a Danny Rose and a goal scorer that isn't Shank Torsen. The, then I think there's no reason why not. They've got as good a chance as anyone else if they can start picking up these wins. Um, the only problem is the teams around them are looking good. Everyone, Bar Sheffield, Fulham look dangerous. Burnley picking up wins. That's not what Big Sam wants to see because he has the most points to to gain. Yeah. Just uh, I'll move on to you, Sims. Brighton got a nice little win against uh, Manager of the Year contender. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, 
you watched the game, I believe. What do you think of Brighton? Because I think that was their first win in 10. Well, in the and words I- of Big Sam, we out-tacticed them. <laughs> no, I thought, um, in all honesty, great part, uh, they did actually do really well against Leeds. Um, they put Ben White in the centre midfield. More, I think, because they've got so many centre-backs and they, they haven't got many centre-mids. So, but now Ben White looked decent. And, um, like I said, Leeds, looked, they looked fatigued. They looked tired, um, which is no surprise. I mean, the way they play. I mean, you know, loads of people have said it. Plus injuries so, as well. Yeah, exactly. So, if, you know, if that's maybe Leeds' down day, then well done to Brighton for catching them. But Brighton can take a lot of heart from it. They, they look good. They look compact. They were difficult to play against. They were everything they haven't been for a few weeks. Um, Mark Baker, his goal, is a nice, a really good goal, actually, as well. You know, they 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 played it, they slowed it down and they played a pace, one touch football. But um but I think again for Brighton now they just gotta put a few wins. They gotta get a home record as well. They've yeah. got to prove that. You, you you just can't be leaking goals and losing games at home like that. Um one thing I would say, can I just go back to Big Sam for a second? Yeah. Um because I know you both love it. Have you seen about the the FA uh, you know yeah. Big Sam's back to Big himself Sam in it. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that there's an investigation into him made me laugh because he's been back like three weeks. Yeah, brilliant. Textbook dodgy but, transfer. Yeah, with it they're, be, they're being cleared. Week. Yeah, I saw I saw it, but I, I read something earlier that uh, they're gonna avoid a big punishment just because I think they're just gonna give him a pardon, do a trump and give him a pardon. But uh, <laughs> If yeah. ever there were two managers I thought would come together and thrash out a deal, whether <laughs> David Moyes and Big Sam are those two yeah. managers. They're just the old school. I can imagine them old school just pulling each other up yeah. going, do you remember that deal we did in like 2001? Should we do it again? So you know, so damn United where he's just on the phone, just like an <laughs> yeah. old-fashioned phone, wife yeah. cooking dinner, <laughs> he's just doing that, sneaking out the Can in the car, yeah, yeah. textbook. I, I think it's a, I think it's a nice little sign in. You know, Snodgrass wasn't getting a game, and that's that's big Samuel. That, that's he will do that. Other managers won't. They'll go out and try and buy. You know, Spend the rules. A big name. <laughs> oh, hey, gee, if you can get if you can get away with it, then that's fine. Well, concussion subs are coming in now. I can't wait to see like all of West Brom's back four go down <laughs> concussions, like with five in the score with a one 0 lead. You gotta take advantage of the rules. But with Brighton, their team, every time I watch them, I think you're actually good at football. How are you, yeah. don't you? Yeah. But then you look at the table, a lot of teams, like Southampton, Arsenal, they're the teams next up. I think it's just either the quality is really bad and the points have been spread out more, or the quality of those teams who are textbook around 10th to 15th have gone up a notch and they're actually competing now with the, the Europa League level teams a bit better, which leaves the teams who just can't pick up the wins they deserve, like the Brightons, um, in a relegation fight, which they shouldn't really be in. Everyone said at the start of the year that this year would be really weird, but I feel like it's gone under the radar how strange the league is. Yeah. I mean, there's about five points between first and eight. Like, West Ham are above Chelsea at the moment. West Ham are only two points off Liverpool. And we're talking about Liverpool as, <laughs> what, two weeks ago, we were saying, oh, you know, they're going to be difficult to stop and... West Ham, David Moyes, what a job he's doing. Yeah. Unbelievable job. He's made me eat my words because I think I had him down as like 17 and he's probably sacked by Christmas. You know, I full of them. It's like full of them are competitive. Honestly, I just think it's just, it, like you said, Burke, it's just a really weird league. Yeah. 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 We'll see. Just quickly as well, because I know we were meant to do this last night, but um, the Leicester Chelsea game. Frank, are we expecting him to go next as manager? Because it's not looking good, is it? And I mean, it's a matter of time, I think. Yeah, I, they just I can't see what he does there. to keep the job. Because yeah. he might put three or four wins together, but he's not putting six or seven or eight. So he'll have three or four wins, then he'll lose to a, a Wolves or someone like that. And people go, oh, Frankie's got to go. Like, I think now he's, it's it's, it's, he's going to get sacked. Yeah, he's going to get sacked. It's just how long he can cling on for. I think his biggest problem is almost now not so much the results. It's, when you spend fifty million on Werner and seventy million on Harvard, and then both of them look shard, those of themselves, and they just like they can be ghost. Or they're on the bench. Yeah, then you look at them, you go, well, you know, wh- how have we taken two of the best in Germany and they've become nothing? Then first person you go to is the manager, isn't it? So, uh, like, I think that is that will have as much say as maybe the results will, because again, a few wins and all of a sudden they be back up. Yeah. 
but we said about Fergie earlier, ruthless. There's no one more ruthless than Abraham Rich. I mean, yeah. so he's off, I think, at some point. I just think Soon. It, it clearly shows his lack of experience as manager, because I think Carragher spoke about it last week about, about Frank. And he's playing Rhys James, who's inexperienced and basically an attacking fullback. So Callum Hudson, Doyle. And then there's no Kante midfield, there's no defensive midfield, midfield covering any of that space left behind. And Leicester just like, thanks very much, we're running behind. Leicester were very day. good as well. And like, you know, I'm not a while. coach, and I, you know, all three of us can see that easily. And, you know, it just seems you know, he's done, what, 11 or 12 combinations up front this season, which is crazy when you think about it. So, yeah. I always go back to, if you were at a top manager, which Chelsea are known for having top managers, would they get more to that squad? I think the result of the answer is yes. They would Big Sam. Top. <laughs> I mean, we laugh at it, but... David Moyes these days. Yeah, exactly. There, there are managers out there who are not big names for top clubs, but... No, I see Tuchel go in. Tom's Tuchel, I think, would be the perfect guy. Got the German link as well to get the best out of those. I think uh, it makes the most sense. Got a turnaround. See what happens. Yeah, uh, feeling it. Trippier told me to put a turnaround. <laughs> Right. Any uh, any other things we want to discuss, or we happy to move on? Any other teams? No, I'm all good. Fulham looking good, but yeah, yeah. Right. Let's move on then to the draft, as always. Burke, you chose it again this week, so explain. So this one would be um, footballers that the streets won't forget. So if anyone that hasn't heard that saying, generally it's just for absolute ballers who've gone out there and bossed it for a year or two before falling off the radar, but the streets will never forget the period where they did boss it. And what I did find is there's some, from my research, as a lot of players who did absolutely boss it, but the streets did forget. So maybe that's a future draft topic there. Yeah. But for this one, it's the ones the streets have not forgotten. Um, so to decide the order that we do this draft, uh, a trivia question for you both. And when I think of football and streets, I think of one thing, Wayne Rooney, street striker. Right? Don't worry, it's not a street striker. It's a Wayne Rooney trivia. That's right, then. And he did retire um, from football last week. So I thought it would be appropriate for a Wayne Rooney trivia question. So what I'm going to do is back and forth between each of you. I'll name a player, and you've just got to say yes or no on whether this player has played with Wayne Rooney at club or international level. Okay. If you get it wrong, you lose, and you'd go second. If you are not yeah. the one to get it wrong, you're first up. Stakes are high, end. Stakes are so high. They start easy just to, for you to get into it, but they get hard very quickly. Okay. Um, yeah. So we'll start with butts. Okay. Steven Gerrard. Yeah. Nice. You understand it. I like yeah. it. I thought Sims. it was so easy. I think it, is, there, is there a trick question? Sims, Ronaldinho. No. Brilliant. <laughs> We're both into it, right? Interpretation is wise. Yeah. We're now speeding this up. So, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yes. Same as Robbie Van Persie. Yes. I'll just name the play now. But it's you. Uh, Angel Di Maria. Yes. Sims, Jared Piquet. Yes. Alan Smith. Yes. Danny Drinkwater. Yes. Nemanja Matic. Yes. It's a no. Oh, so Sims, you need this right for you to win. Alexis Sanchez. No. No is correct. Sims goes first. That's your second. Outstanding news. Right. So, I will start off by saying, your explanation just now has made me think that perhaps <laughs> I've got it a little wrong. However, I'm going to start with the guy who I absolutely, I love. When I first think of watching football, um, I think he was coming into his prime. Now, he's lasted a little more than two seasons, but I would say for two or three seasons, that was when he was like at his peak and then oh. obviously dwindled off. That's fine. Um, but I, I was, he had a really smile. He had an iconic look with an Alice band. Um, and I, I don't know, he's just a fun player to watch. So he joined for a club record fee of £9.5 million in 2001. That's a lot of money. My first guy, what is it? 
Won't forget or will forget? Won't. 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 Streets won't forget. Juan Pablo Angel. Nice. I yes. agree. The streets will not forget Juan Aston Pablo. Aston Villa striker. Because he just had that like little cheeky yeah. smile, iconic look to him. Banked the goals well, for two yeah. years. Yeah. Club captain for a bit as well. Brilliant player. He was one people always spoke for him, and I never understood why. Just because yeah. obviously when I was that age, I'm like, well, he doesn't play for Liverpool, Man U. Can't be that good. Yeah. You I think, think like, you, if he was around now, I would have absolutely adored him. Yeah, definitely. You just don't appreciate it in that time. But you don't forget it, which is the whole point of this. I think a foreign striker at that time when you're younger, he is the guy, the long sit back hair, the band, number nine, Angel. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, wow, look at this guy, he's class. And obviously Villa are quite a nice club then as well, obviously they still yeah. have a nice ground. Yeah. yeah. It was nice. It was just nice in general. So one Pablo Angel. Nice, nice pick. I'm not gonna lie. I was gonna go hard on Tim's end again. I can't believe he hasn't picked the guy I'm about to pick, but he's justified. Right. So yeah, I, I was Tim. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Right. The guy I'm gonna pick. All I'm gonna do is this. So you should know who it is. All I'm gonna do. This guy comes in. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody. Absolutely not a Scooby. Not even his own fans knew who he was. He comes in first day of the season. They get a 5-0 win away from home. First game of the season. Nobody's expecting much from this team. And this guy just turns it on. Scores two goals that day. Worldies. Gets the celebration going. Everybody's loving it. Everybody's doing it. And then he goes on to score 20 goals that season. And then after that, somebody must have thought he died. I don't know. Because <laughs> he did nothing after football. Again, he got loaned out a couple of times. And nothing happened. I'm, of course, talking about the one and only Michu. Streets will never forget those goals in that season and the iconic celebration. But he is my first pick. Quality. That was my first pick as well. Spain call up as well, isn't it? In that year. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Helped him win the League Cup, I've got you. Did he play in Europe then? No. Yeah, he was at Swans for three years. Yeah, he had a hell of a season. I don't think he dropped okay. off. And then he got loaned out then a couple of times. Napoli, didn't and he? He went to Napoli. Yeah. And then so- injuries. But no, uh, yeah, what, what a player. Yeah. My next one is uh, for pick number three. A January signer who came in and scored 13 goals in 14 league games in his debut Premier League season, including one goal of the season. Uh, he came in and took a famous number nine shirt and played more like the man who made the number nine shirt famous, Alan Shearer. Um, his, goal, his goals, along with his strike partner, who we may mention shortly, because he may also be on this list, uh, helped Newcastle to finish fifth in the league. And that's right, an Alan Pardew team finished fifth in the Premier League and it's meant to be the best league in the world. What a joke. Um, maybe it's because of this man, Papis Dembasise. You are number three in the streets, will not forget. That goal against Chelsea. Yeah, Just that alone, the streets are not forgetting that. Mad. Was it a goal of the season? Yeah, one goal of the season, oh. yeah. Worthy winner. Unbelievable finish. Unbelievable. Very check as well. That was hell of a team, really thinking about it as well. Like a weirdly good team. Yeah. 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 Brilliant team. Great pick. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's me again then. It's you again. Snake's back there. Um Right. Right, so I'll do this one. So when I was looking at I have so many Twitter threads and websites dedicated to this subject, but there's one player that wasn't there. And that confuses me because I always thought those clubs he actually played for. Um, injuries definitely cost him a better career. And they did actually cost him an international cap because he was in the squad. But then he got injured and missed out on his cap. Uh, but take nothing away from what he did achieve. When Wigan were first promoted to the Premier League, they were a breath of fresh air with Paul Jewell in the dugout, Leighton Baines left back and Henri Kamara and Jason Roberts knocking in the goals. But there was one man crucial to their success and their 10th place finish. And it's not Pascal Chimbonda. This guy went on to play Fulham and Hull in the Premier League. And on his day, his talent would shine through and he'd score worldly and make you laugh in the process. The streets won't forget his talent, work rate, and more importantly, his Phil Brown celebration. It's Jimmy Bullard. Yes. He's a bad lad, is Jimmy Bullard. I, I don't know why. I always... Always loved him. Yeah. He's it was like a fan was playing, but yeah. he was actually a really good fan. He, 
He's mental. He's also a Grammy, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's absolutely bonkers. Is YouTube, if you've got like, I do randomly like a good, like, one hour YouTube search where you just end up rocking some random stuff. And you, Jimmy Bull has got one of the most mental confirmations. <laughs> yeah. Not many players. It's definitely when he runs and he jumps and there's like a goal from a scramble and he realises the ball's gone. So he just literally jumps over everybody. Yeah. Or the. Uh, when he's arguing with Duncan, no, Duncan Ferguson's arguing yeah. with a teammate, and he turns to Jimmy Bullard and he does a fake smile and laugh to just please him, and he looks absolutely terrified. He just looks, he looks like a type of guy who Monday to Friday as a manager would absolutely rile you up because you're trying to do these serious drills or ball work, or you're doing, you know, work on your shape, and he's messing around. Yeah. But then comes Saturday, you can always rely on him to to have a good performance. Yeah, I thought he was quality. Great pick. Thank Great. you. Right. There's lots of names here, and I feel bad for not mentioning some of them. Um, I've got three players in mind that are all of a similar type, all you know, God-given talent. But there's one guy who tore it up in the championship, was captain for his team. Was Everybody, they're coming up, they're coming up, and you thought he's going to take the Premier League by storm. Comes in the Premier League. I believe Mark Hughes was manager at the time, or maybe he'd been hired during the season, did nothing, got to the Prem, did absolutely nothing, captain, didn't step up, and then he turns around against Fulham in a derby, gets the ball on halfway, runs, weaves in and out, and just a little toe-pog across the ground into the corner, and it's one of the best goals I've seen. But ultimately, his professionalism wasn't as good as his talent, and he just drifted. Not sure where he is now. I think he might be a Monaco, something like that. And my player is Adel Terrapt. Great talent. Shame about his personality. <laughs> was Neil Warnock in charge? Neil Warnock, yeah. I know Neil... Mark Hughes was in charge of that game. I'm sure he was. Yeah, Neil Warnock um, took them got, got them, took them, yeah. took them up, and then he got sacked and Mark Hughes came in. That's right, yeah. I talk about bad lad. He's a bad lad, Adel. Oh, yeah. Like, He's at uh, Benfica now. I just tracked it. Benfica. Benfica. Oh, he's got some good clubs, man. Benfica, AC Milan. Yeah, I've got them here. Um, Geno World was his most recent one. Fulham and QPR. Spurs, Spurs, of course. You were supporting Man U then, or Butts, when you? So, <laughs> you know, these don't come through. I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> I like that that's become a weekly joke now. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fine. Like I got this. I can't believe one of these guys. I can't believe my first pick is actually still here. Because Juan Pablo was my second pick. I thought, ah, oh, I'll go with him. This guy will be gone. Um, this is where, technically, right, he, he wasn't like one or two seasons. Because he was actually there for about seven seasons. But injuries hit. Plus, he wasn't playing very well for, the, for a bit of it. But for two seasons, this guy, I couldn't understand why he wasn't playing at a higher level. Um, so... He had a great left foot, and he was crucial to this club. Is it wasn't a goal either because they won the Premier League. But when they were a solid but good Premier League team, um, he said eighty-three caps for his country, which I didn't realise until the other day. Um, and two hundred and eighty games in the Premier League. But he had a wonderful left foot. He had a naughty little haircut as well. So there's a common theme coming through here with me. <laughs> um, Morton Gams Pedersen. Nice. He's on the list. Yeah, quality. And also, as we're seeing this on me now, my other, my, the only other guy I wanted to say, and it's all I've got on my notes is, what a legend, <laughs> Norberto Solano. Yeah, yeah. quality. Because I came across him the other day, and I just thought, he was a fun little player for me. Right back, right mid, looked like a happy guy, good trainer, what a guy. Want back any, any more? Um, yeah, Benny McCarthy. Oh, yeah. And, that, Zee, and that first season, I think he scored like 20 Premier League goals and finished second behind Drogba and Golden Boot. Played uh, at the Big Sam, many? The West Ham, was it? Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. West Ham, yeah, he's done Big Sam and Mourinho. That guy, if he hey, doesn't grow up to be a, a top, top manager, <laughs> then there's something wrong with football. He's lived the life. Yeah, so uh, there was him. I also had Dean Ashton. Oh, I don't yeah. think you should forget how good he. I think he could have been. Injuries, bad, few really bad injuries. He didn't play for two whole seasons, and they were different seasons. Like he yeah. 
missed one complete season, played for a bit, missed the next season. Wasn't it? Um, retired. Unbelievably, it was Sean White Phillips who injured him. Yeah, which just doesn't get poop to my mind considering Sean White yeah. Phillips is like five foot five. Like, yeah, if you yeah. get injured by him, maybe football was never the career for you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, um, I remember he was unlucky to miss out the World Cup 2006 because he was quality FA Cup final against Liverpool that year. And obviously, Walcott took his place. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rocky Santa Cruz was my last. Uh, nice. I do have one more. Amezaki. Oh, Ooh. that bicycle kick. I think, uh, honestly, God, I think he had six good games and then I don't know what happened to him. I honestly couldn't tell you what, how it worked. Yeah. I remember the bicycle kick and I thought, I think he, because he was on loan at Wigan, was it? Yeah. He scored a bicycle kick and I think Hull maybe signed him on the following season. Or someone someone signed him maybe. a year or two later, Premier League. And I thought, oh, they got a hell of a player there. Yeah. And they didn't. It's Egyptian, right? Egyptian. Yeah. Um, I'll take him up front now for Liverpool. <laughs> um, I had a couple as well. I had Hartin Ben Arfa again, uh, scored one of the best goals I've ever seen. Running from the halfway line, beating five or six players. Yeah. Just talk, walking in. And a guy, again, similar theme, uh, Dimitri Payet, who is still playing. So maybe there's a chance he'll do something big. But it's because of unbelievable goals from West Ham. Yeah, he was quoted. Last season, he was yeah. top, one of the best in the league. There is a common theme there, though, but with yours, is that all of them are mercurial talents, but yet awful professional footballers. That's why the streets will never forget. <laughs> They're better off being on the streets. <laughs> they don't have to think about being professional. They just play. Playing Volta. Yeah, exactly. So. Is Dimitri Payet is hated by West Ham fans, isn't he? Like, absolutely loathed the way he went from that. Yeah, but I think they would appreciate the talent he had at the same time. Yeah, I think it's calmed down now, isn't it? No, I think <laughs> it's. I don't know. You think of Torres, like I was few men. I'm all right, though. No, I'm not. Speaking of Torres, is he on the gear or something? Because Jesus, oh Christ. my god, picture? If somebody's listening, hasn't seen it, go look. I hated it, mine. It actually, like, I was gutted because I always look at him as the boy wonder. Yeah, yeah. I know he's a pure gym instructor. Oh, the guy who works in school fix. I saw that joke. <laughs> Yeah, got one G says he. Soccer. Right. Let's move on. That was a great, great draft best. Um Sims put it in the chat this week. He was eager to get a question in two weeks in a row. I don't know if he's remembered the question they had a few weeks ago, but he seemed keen. So Sims, let us know your question. Well I can't I don't know what the question was weeks ago, but this question is a very I thought good you were gonna say you don't know what the So no I, I took first advice and I wrote it down straight away. So it's in my notes um, for a few days. And um, it's only it's aged like a fine wine because it's an unbelievable question. So um, it, it's all based off a tweet I saw from Stan Collin, one of our people, um, where he said, he mentioned about, have I actually, did I take a screenshot of it? I don't think I did. I think I did, but I can't remember what I did with it. But he is a teacher, by the way. Stan Collin, or... Um, Took, uh, was speaking about Mesut Ozil and he was talking about how under-23 football these days doesn't work in because you've got senior pros who don't play a game for months but are training every day, day in, day out and what you can learn from um, from players like Ozil if they were playing reserve football and then it also came about because obviously Aston Villa played the 18s and his point was they'll have learned more in their 90 minutes than they will age-good football all their lives. Um, so my my question is, so his idea was that reserve games should take place in the stadiums on when your team is away. So, for example, if Liverpool are playing away from home this weekend, then Liverpool reserves would play at, at Anfield and it would be reserves, not on the 23s, would play at Anfield at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, and that would be for every reserve team in the country um, or in that league. Yeah. And that the reserve team would be a mix of first team footballers who aren't getting games, and your best academy players are the ones you want to be pushed up who are ready for the men's game. Um, so, my question really is Has the under 23 system been a success where, as it is now, and do you think Stan Collin has got a point where he says that reserve football should come back and it should be 
a mix between first teamers and uh, the 23s and, and well, the youngsters. Um, it's tough because with the under-23s, you're still allowed to have X amount of over-23 players. Like, I remember um, Danny Drinkwater was playing one not long ago and he ended up scrapping with the opponent player. I remember the same happened with Lalanne against Spurs under-23s. So you still have those players taking part. Um, I think they scrapped it because of just the imbalance because you have, a, let's say Liverpool had a reserve team. Their reserve team, when everything's fully fit, of course, is a lot better than what Burnley's reserve team would be, which would be probably a youth team. So I think it is more of a level playing field for those players than not getting thrashed every week by the bigger reserve teams. Because you always saw in the reserve leagues, it was the same reserve teams. Man U was always just walking it. Um, I think it's a bit more of a nice education, but whether it's more effective... I don't know. I think more effective would be getting thrashed every week, learning a bit. But um, I'd edge personally towards sticking with the under twenty threes, but having the allowance of three over twenty three players. Yeah, I can. I kind of agree with some of those points. I, I think first of all, I think the whole fact under twenty threes. I just think it should be lower. Yeah. Because most good good Premier League players are playing in the Prem before they're twenty three. You know, I know there's obviously exceptions, but so that's the first thing I would I would change, maybe make it under I don't know, under twenties or something or under nineteens. Um if you think about it, what's the Premier League squad size is? It's twenty five players. Oops, you've yeah. got 11, um, I know there's nine subs and one but five. So you've got about eight or nine players who are not doing anything. Um you could definitely get a rotation in. Half of them play one week, half of them play the next week is under twenty under twenties. Um something like that. Um, so I think as well for the for the big teams like Liverpool, City, Man U, really the academy is a bit of a cash cow. You know they basically just get all the talent throughout the you know, England or, or the UK, um, and then look to get a profit then off them. There's, you know, there's not too many who break through grand scheme of things, considering how many players are in the academies. Um, so yeah, I think I'd be more in favour of the bigger teams. Their academies play each other because it's a better balance. They'll be more competitive. And then the likes of Burnley and the lower teams, same reason they all play each other. Maybe then you have promotion relegation. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think I think it's a bit of an untapped thing in football and could definitely get get better. Because um, I, I, I personally, I actually think it's a really good idea. And I'll tell you why. Because I watch quite a lot, quite a bit of the age grades. Um, so I watched Liverpool quite a bit, and so you got an under eighteen team, and the in all the years I've been watching the the grades grades, it's the same teams were always the best teams, and obviously it's the Man City, the Liverpool, the Man United, and then you get to from under 18s then, obviously your best eighteen year olds either go to the first team, and they almost miss twenty threes because if you're that good, if they're good if they're good enough, they'll almost skip the twenty threes basically. Yeah. And they go straight up. I think of like a Raheem Turpin. Played 18 and then he went almost straight up. Like the best of the best just go straight, didn't they? Yeah. But the 23s these days, I, I it does I don't see how it works because the gap the step up from 23s to seniors is so big. Yeah. Okay, and, I, and I'll show you the example. You look at that um I, I don't know what it's called, but it, effectively the Johnson Pay trophy. Yeah. Where you've got the under 23s of the Premier League teams play in, where some of them have decided to, some haven't, but they play against the likes of League One, League Two. So in theory, that's perfect. Yeah. But then, when you look then at how it is, then Liverpool are losing five, six nil to Wigan. Yeah. Which shows how far away they are from the men. Yeah, and I suppose on top of that as well, you've got players that age, let's say twenty-one year old player with a bit of potential. What they do, they don't actually stay with the under twenty threes because Liverpool think, oh, they're best off there. What they do is they get loaned out. Yeah. So that's the club themselves showing they don't trust the system that much. And all clubs do it. Chelsea you mentioned just now. Clubs yeah, loan players over the under twenty three systems. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that yeah there needs to be something done about that because you think of all the League One and League Two teams that 
could easily be getting these talented English players who are British players who might not necessarily make it in the Premier League or even the Championship. But then, you know, by the time they're age 23, they're so far behind in their development because they haven't played first team football. And then even if they end up going on loan, it's never really, you know, there's nobody really stands out because it's such a shock to them. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a big discussion that really needs to be looked at because there's such a disparity between the top clubs and the rest that is it re- well, you could argue, is it really fair? Because they've got the money to spend on it and they're entitled to do that. But then, you know, are you then taken away from the rest of the, the teams in, in the but pyramid? The, the, the thing is, I think it would prepare them better for games as well because, you know, like a lot of these under-23 games happen at, at, at on the training ground. Yeah. So the game does become like a training session almost. Yeah. Because, you know, there's barely anyone there. And then it's just, you know, the... Obviously, then you've normally got one team who, for example, like Liverpool's under 23s this year are effectively their 18, the best of their 18s who've all been pushed up, and one or two others. Because Liverpool's motto these days, their thing is these days that if you are of a certain age where you can go and play somewhere else, look at Harvey Elliott, for example. Yeah. Harvey Elliott, in theory, should be a under 23s player, yeah. but as far as they're concerned, he's better off going and playing somewhere else. So, for me, I think get them playing in real grounds, prepare them for these pitches, prepare them for going to these grounds, prepare them for playing with other men instead of against a 19-year-old kid. Because, you know, like the examples Burke said about Lalanne and Drinkwater, I understand that, but that also only happens because they are the only senior star playing. Yeah. Like, there's nobody else playing. Liverpool played Everton um, two nights ago. And I looked at the team, and I honestly, like, I know all the Liverpool players, but there's not one Everton player that I knew. And they, that's technically one step down from the, from their Premier League team. So are we thinking that someone like a Cheng Tosson doesn't need the games to be able to say, go out, score a few goals, see what you yeah. can do? Yeah. And if you put him alongside the 19-year-old striker, the 19-year-old isn't going to improve. The Liverpool centre-back, who's 18-19, isn't going to improve by playing against a fully-fledged international. Like, within, you know, it would rely a bit on on the Premier League managers almost, you know, not taking the mick almost by sending, you know, half a team down. Yeah. But I don't see the problem with putting four or five, because I know you're saying about there is a rule now they can do it, but they don't do it for the exact yeah. reason, the land and drink water, because you will have somebody who will put a tackle in. Because it's that much of a step down. Exactly. But if they were sprinkled in with a bit more talent, then, and I think everyone's a winner. I think you get a better game. I think, and I think if you were as a club, then you could say, right, we'll open the stadium up. And if you're a season ticket holder, I think Stan Colmo said a pound extra for season ticket holders. Like, you think of people like us, if we lived in, I don't know, if we lived in London and we knew Spurs were playing Arsenal reserves, we'd go. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's a very interesting job. I was just thinking, you know, you could even have, like, take Liverpool, or no, I'll use Southampton because I know smaller teams. So, say you've got academy players in Southampton, they turn 18. Like, we all know, if you're 18, you're good enough, you're going to be training with the first team squad. That's fine. You're learning now from the pros. Fine. Everybody else, in my mind, really, you either have a better tournament or just loan them out to your local area teams. So, if you're Southampton, you loan them out to, like, Portsmouth, to Plymouth. Some other Exeter, some other teams go let them play for, and then you say, for instance, because in my mind, one year loan deal is nothing really. Like, what are you really going to do in a year? Like, it's so, especially if they're young, loan them out for three, maybe three years, let them play for three years, and then you'll know then if, they, if they're good enough, give them a chance. If they're not, now we can sell them on. Maybe there's a rule by the age of 21, you've got to make, well, maybe not that, maybe you've got to make some sort of decision because there's so many people floating about the academies, like with Chelsea, that Lucas. He's on. He's been yeah. on loan about 20 times and only now they've sold him. He's a long he's serving player. Yeah, he's a Chelsea for like 10 years. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But, but, uh, but this is definitely it. a merit to it. At the end of the day, I think what's important, I, I mean, the clubs look for the next Raheem Sterling. That's what they're looking for. Everyone's looking for the next Trent Alexander Arnold. Yeah. But, and I think they get it met more now because everything you hear from different academies, they say about you know, the education and getting them ready for life after football. But, not everyone will be the Trent Alexander-Arnold. Not everyone will be Raheem Sterling. Some people will drop down to League Two and they will have a really good 10 years in League Two. Yeah. But it's like, you, I, what you don't want to do is 
you don't want to just leave them behind and try and make this under-23 football bubble, which they've gone now, yeah. where the life is almost perfect for the likes, like for a Trent Alexander, Curtis Jones, for example. Curtis Jones, if he when he plays under-23 football now, it's a, it's a joke. Yeah. He's so far past that point now. There's not even a point playing yet. Yeah. yeah. So then, if he's not playing, he can't play for countries, what's he do? Plus, there's a reputation thing as well. Like, play for the under-23s, Curtis Jones is going to think, right, I'm better than I know. I'm not. He would yeah. probably refuse. Or oh, there's a lot of players in that position would refuse. And it's because the under-23 is looked upon like that. Whereas when it was the reserve, let's say James Milner was going on the reserve trip, Curtis Jones is not going to refuse that because, oh, if it's good enough for Milner because he hasn't played in two weeks, okay. I'll go. It's a reputation thing. Plus the other 18-year-olds, just seeing how Milner is travelling there. I've read so many footballers from our era, like their autobiographies, and they say about those first experiences. And there's always an old pro on the bus taking it seriously going to the reserve game. I think that's where you need that experience to be with it. So that would be nice. But then I think there's a balancing act to make sure that it is a kind of a level playing field on the pitch. Yeah, it's a good good discussion. Though. Good question. Very good question. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, end of the season. Some, some facts. Right. I think that's it for this evening. Let's go watch some football. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yes. Yes.